What's the best thing you've ever built? Uh, telescope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I worked for the university for about five years. I mean, I built a large telescope on the top of the uh, physics building. So we're uh, had me and a couple other fellows and kind of a bunch of designers. And diverse. What goes into building a telescope? Oh, there's there's so many little wells teased across and I said, I'll just say as a whole, um, really, I started if on a, probably about, I don't have like, for lack of a better word, probably about four or five years into it since the, they were in the disassembly stage. And, it, and actually, I did. I'll start reading from the beginning. I fifth, uh, it was a Tirasoft telescope. Uh, it was a fellow that, that did it recreationally out of his, out of his backyard. Um, and what happened was he ended up passing away and his family wanted to, to make a tribute, uh, basically toward, to his name. So they donated the telescope to the uh, university and we ended up rebuilding it and replacing the whole, the guts of the inside of it and updating it to, to try and uh, make it a, a good learning tool for first students and, and research you know, carrying Saskatchewan, um, has a 24 foot lens on it, or 24 foot, 24 inch, I should say, <laughs> 24 foot, something way better, kind of, <laughs> but, um, and, uh, it, it was quite the, quite the operation when to see it in, in, in motion. So it's, uh, for lack of a better word, I, I, I worked on it for close to two and a half, three years with Gavir fellas. I, in between working out other projects in the physics department, but it was quite the uh, it was quite the undertaking. So, what is a Terra Soft telescope? That was just his last name. Uh, it was we we named it after him because it was more a tribute for for him and great this contribution to science. It would Saskatchewan and uh, rope. <laughs> so you kept it going then. Yep. Oh, you know, what did you learn from building a telescope? But, uh, I learned a lot of things and what not to do. But, subtract, but, but, uh, uh, no, I think that to summarize it all, there there were so many little intricate pieces that were, had to be redesigned after they they were designed because it was either, I don't know, the rigidity of it. It had to be light, but it also had to be, um, let me say rigid, and it had to be able to to track. And I was also... Uh, be able to work with the computer and and, it, and there was a lot to it. I think if if a person uh, were to like it wouldn't have been any one person that would have had to had an entire input into that thing. So we had we had probably I, I'd like to say there were there were lots of professors. There were lots of uh, mechanical engineers. There were. They were aware of the machinists that were building it, um, and we had to collaborate back and forth to see what was possible and what wasn't. And you know, you know how things are in computer in computer world. Things they work perfect, but to try and machine that is a whole different story. <laughs> so you have a round cutter. You gotta you gotta cut this up, but you need a square shoulder or something. It's just like you know, you that really do that. <laughs> So there are certain things that are, you know, physically in computer world that have to be transferred into the reality of what things are, and thus what we get when we're referring on it. So 
it was uh, quite the quite the undertaking. So you all you collaborated with so many different fields. Did they learn that computer images don't transfer perfectly to metal? Oh, it, it people understood it, but it's part of that was part of our job was to determine what was was possible and what was the trade, and then we had to figure out a way to make it possible. But to, so that that's that's where we where we came into play, right? So it was quite uh, it was quite a fun project. What made it so you needed pieces to be lightweight and rigid? Well, see, it had to be balanced. It had to be glow and it had to be a certain weight to go on the on the roof of the physics building because they didn't want it to be what you say the, the structure of the of the whole building had to come into play as well. So things had to everything had to be accounted for. Also, out of out of sunlight on the roof, we put the the whole dome the you know, the entire, I welded the entire floor together and designed it and everything right from scratch. It was, it was quite the, quite the project. So it was this, you know, continual, you know, up and down through the elevator with one piece at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so this was literally from the ground up. You had to make the floor for it. Right? Yes, basically, yeah. So it was, it was quite, it was, it was quite a project. What limitations did you have? Really, the limitations were, well, we, we had a budget. There were the limitations of the thing where, uh, well, you had weather, you had to work around to, to put things up there. We had to assign lids downstairs in the basement of physics department uh, first to test out the floor, like the optics and everything before we put everything up there, right? And then you had to take it apart and you have to reassemble it upstairs uh, in, you know, in the uh, in the wide open air, wide open air, then. So, how did you keep it clean? We didn't. <laughs> the problem there was dust. Sort of said we had pigeons like crazy, so we had to find ways to keep pigeons out of it. But it was uh, yeah, it was a it was a daily a daily or courage to try and you know if they're clean everything off. It got done though. Oh, it did. Yeah, yeah. We covered it up with with cloths, drop cloths, and everything like that. But I mean, over time, that's just how a color works. <laughs> so when you go through the function check, what surprised you about it? Uh, well, we had a little issue with it. Um, I'd like to say it was it was the tracking on the, on the first start for tracking to start. Um, the little mortar that was there to do the, I think it was, uh, the definition, um, was program is somewhere in the program. It had a little vibration Then it was, if, if I don't bow it, don't call me on this. I don't know exactly what was wrong with it, but it was, uh, if it kept wanting to correct itself and that caused a little bit of a vibration. So the blur, the images came up blurry when you're looking far off into space. So we had a, a heck of a time for a while trying to figure out what was going on with it. Now, I believe it's fixed. Last time I, I when I was there, we, we, we fixed it uh, as far as I know. Um, but uh, I still have to look into that to see where it's at. <laughs> it was correcting constantly. It would then go too far one way. It would, we could peer your system, but pick it up and go on a go back to, you know, to correct it. It was going back before it's really fast and couldn't get a clear image. Yeah, more or less. 
when you worked with all the other departments, how was the communication between everybody? It was it was pretty nice. Uh, we all have meetings regularly, and to, uh, we had a few people that were involved right from from beginning to end, kind of thing. And and, and uh, we had weekly meetings where we come down and we'd pick a part of the telescope, and and that would be what we were working on. And then we'd have to, uh, you know, we were designing it as we kind of went right. So it was it was quite the quite the uh, critter checking. Um, on site, we we built a second telescope. <laughs> One wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, it was a robotic telescope boat in um, in Sleaford, uh, Saskatchewan. Here, it's just uh, I guess it would be east of the uh, Patience Lake Mine. What's a robotic telescope? Well, what they have is they have a observatory that's outside of town, so it it, it doesn't have um, the city lights that interfere with it, right? So they have a bunch of other telescopes there, but um, this one would be for remote, or you'd be able to access it remotely. So you can pull up a, uh, a laptop anywhere in the world that they could access it. Um, and what it was used for was they sold, or I'm not sure if they sold or if they donated time to um, whoever on it and needed to do research to run the world. So somebody from Texas could, could slot an hour of time at a certain time of night or whatnot, and they could go and they could search whatever area they wanted of the sky they wanted to look at, and they could do it all remote, remotely. How was building that one compared to the one you built at the university? Well, the one in the physics department was right from the ground up. This one, we had a couple extra parts that we hadn't put together, and then we machined some components of it. We didn't do the entire thing, um, and it had some software that, that came with it to... So it wasn't a full bill right from the ground. We were out, outside of town quite a bit when we were putting it together. And, you know, you, you load up the back of a truck with uh, with tools and you go out to the, to the middle of the field and try to oh, try to put things together and hopefully you uh, give your driver everything that you needed and then otherwise you drive it back. And it, just, it sounds like you might have forgot something. It's happened a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the place? <laughs> What's the biggest, oh man, I forgot that peace moment. Oh, oh boy, I, I couldn't even tell you. That, that, probably just, just certain tooling and wrenches or something. I remember there were, there was a time when the dome had, there was Brockel and dome, um, to open the whole roof. Um, it spun on the, on the, the, uh, on the shaft or added. <laughs> we had to fix it. But we had to drive back and tell them to fix it before we could put it on there. But the dome was open, so we couldn't we, we couldn't leave it overnight, right? So you're heading back and forth. You need an affordable machine shelf, basically. <laughs> so you had to leave it open to get the tool to close it, but it needed to be closed when you left. We had to bring it back from the machine shop to, to fix the sprocket, and then we had to go and bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> get other tools to, to go and fix it, right? Through all that back and forth, what would you do differently now? Well, there's not too much you could have done differently. I mean, you you make a best guesstimate of what you what person could use and what you could, you know, how many you think of it at the time. And it was, if the the real world kicks into play, and then you got to realize, oh, that's something I overlooked or something that I should have maybe thought of first. But that, but uh, more of us, I mean, it's, it's operational and works. <laughs> What's something you overlooked? Uh, well, 
you know, sometimes the visible. Yeah. Sick. <laughs> you know, you did it and you know, the dust and things like that, how to clean it, the, the amount of time needed to keep things operational is, you know, like, I don't think it was planned for it to be, to be that extensive. Yeah. Cause you had to keep it clean and then you had to figure out all these external things. Yeah. That and then on top of it, you know, the heat and the build with the, with the whole projects, they, uh, there's always something that you run into of having a problem with, you know, break a taff or you do something with them and you have to either A, you have to remake, remake the part or you B, you have to figure out a way to, to fix it. So in, in essence, you try to make it even more efficient if a part is broken. Yes. Oh yeah. Boring bus. That's part of, part of being a machinist is you got to, you're striving for perfection. You never ever really achieve perfection because depends on your, your definition of perfection, right? You could go, yes, you can look at 10 thou, you can look at one thou, you can look at half a thou, if you can. You're talking thousands of an inch. Yes. Yeah. You can, you can go right down to a million, you know, it's, it's all based off of how close you need to get to perfect. You're never going to be perfect because there's always going to be that little bit of a tolerance in there, you know, me. Temperature can affect, you know, when you get really, really tight tolerances, temperature can affect how large or how small it is, right? If it's cold, it shrinks. If it's, if it's hot, it expands, right? So you go, well, I've done farts before where you've, you've held it up to a light bulb and it would expand just enough that you could do a fit where you could drop a hollow piece together with it, right? And, you know, then I've done farts where you, you have to put one piece in the freezer and then the other piece you have to machine it to a certain tolerance. You have a certain amount of, of shrinkage and expansion in these, these pieces. So I'm just Hope the heck you hit it right. So it's it's fine details where you're actually heating and cooling the parts. That's the tolerance that you're dealing with. Yeah, it, in some cases, yeah, not not everything, but I mean, just part of machine, right? It, it, you know, like I say, perfection is you're striving for perfection, but you're you're never ever going to achieve it. <laughs> it's it's based off of you know what what the job needs, right? What do you think about perfection, but never being able to meet it? Well, you're always trying. It put cut cut So so it always keeps you up, keeps you on the toes. How do you balance it? Well, for me, hey, uh, I sometimes I mess parts up because I try to over get get closer to it than I that I uh, I think that's the uh, wishiness to let lamb. <laughs> I can take a little bit of really easy better and then take them too much as a cop and I can't <laughs> the striving for perfection, it's kind of across the board for most machinists. Is it? I mean, that's that's kind of the definition of a machinist. <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, because you're always trying to, I mean, you tell a machinist a tight fit. I mean, we, it's going to be tight shit. You tell, uh, I mean, somebody who is into carpentry or something, you can measure with a measuring tape. You're not looking at it with a caliper. So you're looking with, with you know, a 16th or a... M an eighth or something like this, but that, you know, for sheeting is like the clip, you know. You're looking at a I don't know. General tolerancing is, is around five thousandth of an inch. So if you're if you look at your your hair width is about three thou thick. So one hair hair width is about three thou. So that's kind of where we're in creative machinists worth within the ranges. What's the most precise thing you've had to build? I don't know. But a tenth of a thou? A tenth? 
to think about it, about one hair width, split its tree, and split in ten. <laughs> what was that used for? <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't remember. But I, I remember doing lots of bearing fits and things like that. Bearing fits, you usually try to, you have to be, you know, up one cell to um, press bit, I should say. And with that, you either cool the shaft so that you can slide the, the piece down or whatever piece down over top of it, or you you can have, there's all sorts of different fits for, for things, but uh, you'll just, it, it's made so that it doesn't slide off. So you have the shaft is, is one dial bigger than what the actual piece is sliding on there, right? So when you shrink it, it shrinks by two or three foul. It goes on, slides onto the shoulder that you need it. And then when you, when it warms up again, then it's on as tight as a week. How do you look? It'll be within one thousandth of an inch. But the reason you heat and cool it to get that extra three thousandths so it'll fit. And and you said press fit? Or, yeah, I just, I lack of a better word, heat interference fit. Uh, there's different different types of fit to change, but press fit usually, you know, depending on the size of the shaft or the size of what you're, what you're doing is, well, could be, if, if it's a large shaft, you could be looking up to like, I don't know, for, for lack of a better word, five thou press, depending on size and bearing, or if you're really small, it could be, you know, half a thou to one thou. Okay. So the larger it is, the less tolerance you, or the, the more tolerance you can have. Uh, no, it's not, it's not necessarily the tolerance. You still have to hit that size with the, the minus one thou or minus two thou, but, uh, the shrinkage is different, right? With them. So oh, with more material, the shrinkage is different. Yeah. So, so with more material, the shrinkage is more or less, uh, more, more with more material, right? Because that, that material will shrink. I mean, the larger the piece is, the more on the outside it will, it'll shrink, right? Just more the molecules will okay it has more room to go because there's more material yeah probably not describing it worth a worth a crap but no it's understandable that you need to heat and cool these pieces to give you just the right amount of room to fit them together then once they're back at room temperature yep. they're in yeah there, there's no moving how would you take them apart with that cutting towards me <laughs> oh they're they're in well for the most part i mean you see you have bearing fullers and you you know you can Try to heat it out there, and you might, you know, we put those those for a very cooler in the end, and then you'll have. Uh, I've seen guys take tiger torches and then heat up the shaft and the bearing together. Try to, or actually, they'll heat up the bearing and not the shaft. They'll try to heat the one separately from the other, and then you'll it'll hopefully expand enough that you can pull it off. Oh, so they heat the ex- so the bearing is on the outside. They'll heat that, and and hopefully not heat up the inside shaft so it expands as well. Yeah, you try to heat up the outside quicker than the inside. So what I'm learning is you definitely want to make sure you want it there forever. Otherwise, it becomes a, a lot of extra choice words that are invented. <laughs> but we become good at, at making those dead and <laughs> How do you recollect yourself after a big mess up? You need to take a, take a walk. <laughs> Take a break, have a coffee. <laughs> really, uh, you know, myself, that's, that's about how I deal with it. Um, better to take a breath and then you can kind of start with a fresh and clear head. Sometimes you just leave for it. You have to, to kind of leave it and go on to something else and then go back to it. Because if you spent 
to say you spent 10 or 20 hours on that on a piece and then all of a sudden that very last because you start from a, a solid stock of material right usually depending on what what you're making and you machine it down it doesn't matter if, you know you could be 19 hours in and then in that last little shoulder if you take it take too much off of it then all of a sudden it's and say either unusable or b you have to find a way to try and fix it <laughs> so that that 19 hours could be out the window if you don't do right steps and you, you know the right uh, you know type of machine practices that you make how do you stay focused on that 19th hour just i think a lot of it's experience too so you, you learn that if you know that you're idiot you're not in the mindset to do that last that final that final thing you take a break and you and you come back to it i mean if you're in in obviously if you're in uh in you know industry you can't really do that but you can give yourself a little bit of time to think about what you're going to do and do an extra couple breaths before you you do it otherwise you know like you if you rush it that's when mistakes you usually haven't, and that's when, you know, that's usually on a rush job that you had to rush another part through. <laughs> what have you learned from doing these jobs so far? I'm going to take the time. <laughs> you know, um, certain things, you know, like if there's no, um, there's no, like everything's different that you, that you make, right? So um, you could be doing engines, you could be doing, you know, and say telescopes, you could be doing spingles for a tractor or something like this. Everything has its own, its own place. And some things you can, you can get away with going faster with because the torches are not that tight. Other things you've got to make sure that you, you, you know, take that extra 10 or 15 mess to make sure that you've got it right before you take that cut. If you turn around and make that cut before, you know, you confirm the numbers, even in your own head, you know, and, uh, and double check the drawing and things like that. That's, those are the checklists that I usually come up with, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing the, uh, why I'm building these parts is because I don't like to, to just look at it once and then go and, and take it off because that's exactly how you make it. Made <laughs> it backwards or in your, your the decimal place, you know, you don't see where it is or something. And it's, you take 50,000 instead of 5,000 and it's like, oh, well, that one's messed up. <laughs> you have to keep checking the specs. Yeah. And the drawing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could look at it and then you could say, okay, well, this, this diameter needs to be here, but you're always constantly doing the math based off of, I mean, CNC equipment is, has taken the guesswork out of it for the most part, but still, when you're programming, it's the same concepts. You still got to do everything in order and you got to make sure that your diameters and where you have all your, your offset settings right. <laughs> so what's the CNC thing you're talking about? I could be computer numerical controls with a, we call it, it's basically uh, like an automated tab on machine. You can, you can get milling machines, you can get labels, you can get uh, all, all sorts of new laser cutting, water jetting, everything, right? Okay, and you will program it with the certain parameters and then it'll just do it. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of times it's G-code. It's uh, a specific, it's, it's more like a, a grid pattern. So if you look at a grid, you can, you can, call a certain, uh, we'll say you have machine function, uh, codes, and then you have position codes. So you say, if you wanted to move it in a linear motion, if it go G zero one and then go X, which is your X, uh, the horizontal axis, horizontal axis, right? Uh, you know, go one inch 1.0 and it would move one inch that way. And then you could put a feed rate to that 
uh, so you can tell it to move at a certain speed across, right? So, and likewise, you have rapid moves for a G00, like I'm, I'm talking about like Haas machines right now. Possess, uh, I've worked on most, most of my underway. What are Haas machines? Uh, this is a certain brand. Okay, you're talking about the brand of CNC mill. Yeah, I think so. There's, there's tons of different kinds out there, different different manufacturers and that, but uh, I, I was like cost because it was, I mean, if user-friendly, you had same, the same uh, computer screen that you could put that on lay the mill, vertical board, just universal around. Universal everywhere. When would you need to move slow versus move fast? It's uh, hard. That's generally how you work that. If you, that generally in the tighter the tolerancing, the the longer it takes to achieve that tolerance because you thought to make sure you're take you're doing extra checks and you know and balancing basically to make sure that part's good right in the end. Oh, so is it shaving off? Is that oh. yeah? Basically, it, it if you're if you're machining something, usually you're you're well, on the CNC. You'll you'll program a certain depth of cut for for everything, right? You'll have, say, if you wanted to take an inch off of a two-inch piece, you might program it every 50 thou to take a cut. So it'll continually make it cut all the way down until it gets to a point where your finishing pass would be, and that's what you got to program into it, and then you'll do a finishing pass. And usually, <laughs> what I would do in this instance is I would, I would leave it oversized by about the same amount of my cuts you know, my finishing pass. So if it were 20 thou for my finishing pass, I would lift it up 20 thou and like a, make a cut first and then I'd measure it and I'd make sure it was 20 thou left to, to take off. Otherwise, if it was 19, I would pump up the offsets and then it, 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 it's, it's tricky too because you got to also know the machine because sometimes you move it up 20 thou and it will take 19 off or sometimes it will take 21 depending on how far the machine or the, the bearings, you know, how everything, if it's been running all day versus if it just, if it's a cold syrup, you know, there's, there's a lot of other factors into it as well. How much does this come to science versus art? Experience, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, well, just from you saying, depends if the machine's been running for too long or if it's too hot. Well, if you have a, and... You also have to look at it. What are you trying to achieve? Like if you're, if you're, like you say, it's a farm spindle versus a telescope. Sometimes you or something else, right? You want to, you know, the, the constant background temperature in the shop matters too, right? So if you're machining at 20 degrees, you know that's where your tolerance is. If it goes up to 24, sometimes it will expand, right? You'll go and make it bigger by half hour or something. You know when something measures it. Now if you if it's Minus two, same thing as the the shrink in the expansion, right? So it's it's machined at a certain temperature. With your machining, what, what temperature do you prefer to machine at? Well, usually room temperature, right? That's the accepted grade. Yeah. I would say um, anything else. I mean, you're, it could change things quite a bit. So the environmentals are huge. Yeah, yeah. Which is why you don't see a lot of machine shops outside in the in the fields. I've seen mobile machine shops before, but you actually need to control more than just the machine. No, it's it's not it's not control. It's 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 uh, account for. That's a way better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to take all of these into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. For every part that you do, I mean, depending on what you know, 
but you say you might not have to worry about it for but from Jap, but for something that's uh, that's really 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 tight tires in here. So even even motors, you know, if you're on loading machines, you know, they account for the expansion and and contraction of the cylinders and for you know everything to the your camshaft, your bearings, everything. Right? It's it's all accounted for in there. And that's why the wheels that we use now for, for vehicles are getting lighter and lighter because the clearances are getting tighter and tighter. Oh, because that oil has to, it has to get in between those tolerances. Exactly. It has to be able to go through and flow through the motor and protect it, right? So as technology is advancing, we have to actually change the lubricants we use. Yep. Whereas, you know, like you had, I have a 65 cup, was 1050, nothing, you know, 10W30, you know, maybe, maybe these tolerances are so tight that it won't even allow oil through a certain a certain oil. Yeah. Well, I mean, Denise's by my girlfriend's Jeep uh, runs zero twenty oil, and that's fairly fairly thin, and it's synthetic, so it's uh, <laughs> flows a lot better. Yeah. How does being a perfectionist transfer over to your everyday life? OCD is a very real thing, <laughs> especially in machine. <laughs> it's it's been my way of life since I was like, almost born. Because my my old man, basically, he he was a machinist his whole life, and you know I I got to grow up with that whole that whole way of life. So it was, uh, you know, thinking about it, I, I don't really know any elderly to be that <laughs> they try to be perfectionist and do the best you can and spend the extra couple of minutes to try and make sure things are done great instead of, you know, try to rush it through. Generally, when I rush it through, it never works out the greatest. So, but general rule is take your time. Yeah. How does that influence your decisions outside of the machine shop? Uh, oh, you see, I, I bet Denise, my, my girlfriend, she's very, very, very quick on the draw and she's very... That's pretty fast. I I like to uh, just to think about it sometimes, you know. Before and I I I act. That's gotten me in trouble before, and it's also got me into troubles. <laughs> Still trying to find that balance. Analytically, yeah. yeah. How do you get through that when you're overanalyzing something? Well, sometimes you're just gonna force yourself to take that first step. <laughs> you know, you. Uh, I don't know. I, I I used to be very very shy and not want to do anything. You know, that was very out of my comfort zone, right? And so when I was younger, you know, I used to, to overanalyze things and not want to move forward to do them. Um, but that also hindered me as well, because you can't think about everything all the time and not do. You have to, there has, there's a point where you have to, to make that decision that you're going to try it and either it's going to work or it's not. You can't, and I go, that translates over to, to machining as well, because you you could look at that number and you could try to do the math as many times as you want, but you still you're either on the far or you have to to do it. So you have to make a decision. And if you sometimes you make the the right decision, and you're hoping you're hoping that that's what you make more of that more than the other rate. <laughs> but sometimes you make the decision and it's like oh no that part's messed. So I gotta I gotta turn around and move like another. All right, but that's you can translate that into life. It's you know, if you if you sit and think about things for too long, you're not gonna, you're never gonna be eating. <laughs> yeah. So you're not afraid to make a mistake in the machine shop. No, I mean, and depends on the part. <laughs> Just clarify that. <laughs> 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 it 
Yep. I've only been working on this one for three months. I've been that one after you. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's probably not good. I'm not going to be employed for very long, but <laughs> what do you do to get yourself back in order? It's time to finish that piece you've been working on for three months. You randomly, sometimes you get, you get really focused and zoned in on, on a part and, and, you know, it doesn't matter what happens around you, you just kind of, you're, you're in and around and you're, you're focused on it. Um, sometimes like I say, if, if your head's not into it, then sometimes you try to figure out other things that are less, less tight to our assistance <laughs> to try and, and finish first before you get into the really heavy tolerancing again. So, uh, at least that's how I, I look at it. I mean, if you have the option to do it, I mean, it's. How do you keep yourself in check? I, I like to, I, I, depending on how, how the fart's going, but if I'm blowing his eyes or something already, then I usually get a little more, um, I take a little bit longer to, to look at things and, and double check them. Um, yeah, but has, if I, if I know it's something that I've, I'm, I've dealt with before, you know, I, I may tackle it either the same or different way than the way that it done it, depending on how the outcome was in the past, right? So you're always continually building on what your, your previous knowledge was of, of making this part. So if it's a new part, you're going to take your time. Yeah. You've got to go through the, the checklist of, make it, I say checklist, it's, it's you know, you look at, at a square, you don't want to machine it. So, you know, you have to, depending on what the factors are, you can say that you need this, it needs to be perfectly flat and it has to be, yeah, well, the, ang- the angles on, on the piece might have to be perfectly 90 degrees, so then you have to do a certain setup to, to make sure that you're doing it, you know, in a word. <laughs> you know, it's, if you've jumped to the, you know, the third step versus the second step, you're, you know, sometimes that may have consequences of maybe not being flat or maybe not being able being off by a degree or something. There are base machining practices that everybody learns whether you're going through your practice and that that's something that it still translates into everything today uh what the way that you do them and sometimes depending on what you're making changes the way the order changes right don't frame up the house before the foundation exactly foundation is always the same but sometimes there are the rare occasions where you have to change foundation city yeah yeah so just machining a cube is complex. It is step. What's step one? Usually, no matter what you what you're doing, you always take your first cut off the top. So you're you're zero five, right? Then we put the machine piece up against the solid jaw, so that it's you know that that one is flat when you when you clap it down with the vise, right? You know that that one is flat, perfectly flat and perpendicular to the uh, to the vise, right? So the solid jaw is perfectly flat. Well, to to a degree, yeah, yeah, that that's the accepted practice, right? It allows you to to know that you have the next. Uh, that you can move on to the next step because you have a solid start. Exactly, yeah. and your first one is always completely flat to the machine because it's, it's referenced off your machine zero. Do the the one side of the say many degrees, and oh, so you build off of that flat side. Exactly, you use the flat side to your advantage, and you make sure that you know everything else. Is referenced off of that flat side. That side, yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, that's brave. That oh, it's no big deal. You you think about this all the time. You're not used to putting it into words. You make that flat piece, and then now you're going to go off of it. So then, do you make the next ninety degree cut? Yeah, have started and starting with your your cube. Usually, you like to keep 
two two sides that are, are perpendicular to each other. Uh, if you start machining a block and say I, I flipped it over like this, you know, 180 degrees, when you clamp that up against uh, the solid jaw, both whatever's touching the solid jaw, whatever's touching the, the movable jaw, could lift it up like this and make it, yeah, fuck. Okay, so it could lift it up just slightly off level. When you take the depth. Because those two faces on there aren't perfectly flat. Exactly, which is why you always keep the perfectly flat sided in step for the second operation. And then you're, no matter how you clamp it, it should always be flat, per- perfectly flat. I mean, yeah, to a, to a degree. Yeah, of course. And then you'd make that 90, and then now you can work with both flat sides. So that when you clamp it, it, it won't actually shift. Exactly. So if you don't clamp on a perfectly flat side, it won't it won't work. No, I mean, like you say, everything changes with what you need, right? So I, I hate to say that that's a, a standard way to do it, but I mean, generally, that's what they teach you in school. It's a good place to start. Yeah, it's a good place to start. What's the most enjoyable thing for you to machine? I've been... I've been enjoying and doing woodworking paired with machining <laughs> as well, right? Um, I like doing, I, I, I downloaded everything. I've got into to laser etching and gone into 3D printing. I've gone into oh, woodworking. I've gone into you know, welding, all sorts of different things that I've got. It's, it's a lot of fun to do, just combine them all together. Uh, machining is, is amazing. I still love my machining, but... Uh, Pairing it with everything else, we could make some really cool stuff. <laughs> so, what's something cool you've made? Oh, I've been working on a uh, an end table for oh, I should sort of say a end table, two end tables for one for my drill town nine, and uh, it's uh, <laughs> there's I'd work going from. From I, I use SolidWorks, so I like to to make three D models of, of parts and and before see it before it's actually built. So, uh, what I started into resin work, and I started into doing a little working and things like that. I, I've been growing my my tool my tooling list <laughs> and power tools here since I've been. Yes. So you're used to just just seeing it on the computer, but now you're actually you're not seeing it on the computer. You're working with your hands and with resin and with wood. Yeah, well, I mean, you always have a vision in your head of what you what your end goal is. And being able to, for me to transfer it into a computer, it helps you with your material lists. It helps you with what you need to do and a little less wasteful evaporate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these this new woodworking resin thing, it's giving you a new appreciation for that area. Oh, of course. I mean, it, I just love the only thing with the Montana's every day. Last year, I tore a couple of different cards from my... Uh, but Denise has got a 71 Super Buggy, and I, I rebuild that one, and then I got a, like I say, a 60 Butter Crawler. I got a rebuild that for Rochester Kern, so I had to, to fix it and make a couple little little pieces for them. And, you know, in my uh, father's own machine shop as well. And uh goal from here to the lathe for a little bit. <laughs> so if you don't have a part, you can make it. Yep. I mean, anything you can think of, you can make. It's just a matter of is, is it worthwhile to spend the time to do it or will Amazon give you a part for 10 bucks where you can do it? Uh, somebody's already done the legwork. Yeah. So then when you're making 
parts for yourself. How is that compared to when you have the pressure of a job? It's more enjoyable doing it for yourself. <laughs> Partially why, you know, for, I mean, it's one, one instance as to why I, I, I'm into a whole different field now too, is because you're continuously building, building parts for somebody else. And it's great to be able to do it. To, I'm, I'm building a blood working with my hands, but there's a time when, you know, you do it for 10 hours a day for, you know, every day at this, and then you get home and you're like, yeah, I, I'm okay with not doing that. I, I could put that project off for a little bit. I don't need to do it. Oh, you're, you've been prioritizing building somebody else's dream. Exactly. For him. So it, it, like you say, it's nice to be able to do it. I, I can look at something and I can say, yeah, I can build that. It's, there's no issue with that. There, I have the confidence to know that I can do it. What? That also is a double-edged sword because you know that there's there's a certain amount of energy and, and things you have to invest in that, right? <laughs> and money and time. And sometimes you'll always have that after you've been doing that for somebody else for your, for your, yeah, for your career. Yeah, you're tapped out at the end of the day. Exactly. So you're, you know, it becomes, you want to do something different because your, your brain is tired of doing the same thing, right? Um, so, you know, get into electronics or get into something else or do something different, right? Um, but that, that also makes it first a stronger too in the long run because you're learning more other, other uh, trades and other ways of uh, building peace. Yeah. You're expanding your world. Exactly. Right. What made you decide to step away from machining? First off, the money. I <laughs> second off, you know, I, I was looking for a change. I mean, I cut my knuckles and, you know, scraped things up for, for 15 years or more. And, you know, I, I like doing it, but I, uh, like I say, kind of would like to try something different. So that's where I started into the, the, the water jet laser company. What was the point when you decided, hey, this is enough? You know, I don't, I don't know if there was really a, a, a time where it was like, this is, this is the hard wine on Dodge Juan Dawson. It was, it was more like something else kind of sparked my interest. And I was like, I'm going to try that for, for a while to see where that one kind of goes and, and would, uh, you know, learn something new, right? So it was already kind of wearing on you and then an opportunity arose and you're just, Hey, I'm going to seize this. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you know, I, I love it so far. I mean, I'm doing sales now, but, uh, it's really neat in, in the aspect where you can, you have so many different, different types of projects coming your way and you get to see them all right from that, where the customer standpoint, where they're, they're coming to you and they're asking, Hey, can you do this? And then you actually still have to go through it in your mind. You have to try and build it in your head. And, you know, you're, you're usually utilizing your, your knowledge for what you, what your capabilities are to show off. What you know is possible from your experience. Exactly. Yeah. And what's feasible and, and also how to, how to keep making money for a fair to a company. So it's, it's a whole different aspect. And, you know, I've never had a, had a physician per se, like, where I'm at now, but I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's still rewarding, you know, and to the first aspect. Yeah. How is it now that you're not building things with your hands, but you're building somebody's dream and figuring out what they want? Well, you know, part of the nice thing is that I'm not spending all that extra energy to try and build it for something else. So now it's getting to that point where I'm enjoying 
building my own things again, you know, where it's, <laughs> you know, I, I, cause I'm doing a different aspect of, of the work. I get to, to see the design world. I get to do that a lot more. Um, and the pricing aspect of it as well, but, uh, getting into it now, I can, I can, I have a little more steam in my sales, I should say, <laughs> for, for the weekends, the after hours where I can go back in and can say, Hey, I, you should feel like building this today, you know? Yeah, just that that change was as good as a break. Yeah, exactly. When you're doing your sales, how often do you draw from the your machining experience? Every day. It's that, but, but, yeah, it's a it's a daily thing. Knowing how I mean, it in the the laser cutting, water jetting world, they have software where you can take, say, if you want to cut a out of a piece out of a half inch plate, you know, depending on how many you want or or what the, the shape of it is, it doesn't really matter. You'll usually get a DXF file from from a customer or you'll make one up. And it would all, you could put that into the, they call it nesting software, so you can, it, it reads what the part is and it tells you how much of the plate it's going to use and it and you can see your, your part on the plate and it, it assigns Based off of what pricing you put into the system, you have to factor in your your cost, your markup, everything else into that, and your time to cut. And usually, that's what the nesting socket will do, and it'll spit on a number for you, and you have to adjust it depending on you know how you know how fast you're cutting or or how slow you're cutting, whatever. It's there's there's quite a few little intricacies to it, right? But it gives you a number. You know, it's different, you know, it's different than the machining world where you're looking at it, you know, like, okay, well, this is going to take me about a half hour, I think, to do this. <laughs> it's a guesstimate, right? Whereas this is a little more precise with laser cutting. So what have you learned now from being on the other side? You know, there's a lot of things that a person, in, you know, was working in the back, you know, it, I've been there before where you, you, you think about it. Why did the person quote this little or why did they do it this way? Or, you know, this, that was way off on their time or something, you know, generally what I learned and what I learned is that, uh, if there's a lot of other factors into it, you know, based off of what the customer needs, their, the customer and budget, you know, how, you know, which machine you're using, career, you're getting it to things like that. I had sometimes people just just under quote, and that's part of the, the nature of doing the quoting far trade. You, you, you try to hit the head, the hip, and the nail on the head. But, um, you know, for machining-wise, you know, you could have a, you could break a tap in a piece, and then that could add another hour to your to your whole, you know, your whole job, right? And then there was your profit out of the whole job. <laughs> so you got to account for the unexpected as well as being reasonably priced so that you get the work coming in. And then you also have to make sure that you you can do the job at a reasonable time so you're making money on it. So there's a lot of different factors that, that go into that stuff. So You know more of all the factors because you've been on both sides now. Froth. I, I, I have knowledge and I don't know what. I'm never going to know everything for sure. Yeah. You just have a little bit more knowledge than the next guy who has never been in the machine shop. Well, yeah, I didn't get it. I can have better computer and orange light. you right. It's just, it, yeah, it's all relative, right? Yeah, absolutely. With all the knowledge that you've collected, what's something that matters the most? <laughs> Delivery chimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, 
don't overpromise and underdeliver. You know, just over over deliver and underpromise. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that's the best the best way to go about it. Because that you know, no matter what the customer expects, that if they're not getting these parts for say five days and then you can get it to them in two, he's extremely happy and. You know, his expectations and not going over his timeline as well as, you know, like gives you a little extra lead weight. Yeah. Finish it, right? You know, you know, win all the jobs, but jobs you win, they, and people respect it and they will generate what, from my experience, people tend to continue sending things your way because they know you're reliable. That's a great way to look at it. And then how do you keep yourself together when somebody's saying, I need this now? You usually have a little bit of a, fa- a fudge factor into there where you can probably get a couple, you know, usually I think you'd like to have enough space in there that you can do a couple rush jobs if needed. Because usually there, that every week is always a couple, no matter what, in, especially in where, where I'm at now. But, uh, you know, usually you can, you can, you can bog something else just so you, you can get that one little piece in to help keep that customer happy. And that also goes into the under or under under promise only deliver, because usually if you have an extra couple of days where you have flashbacks, you can do that because you can move things around a little bit, right? So it kind of helps. So this is the exact opposite of machining, where you're giving yourself more tolerances, so a larger margin of error. Yeah. How is it doing it this way for you first the machine shop with the tight with the tight tolerances? You know what? It's uh. It's still stressful uh, in a different aspect because you've got to try and make sure that you're, if you're feathering that line where you don't want to say this this customer might need this in a week, but you don't want to tell them two weeks, right? Um, you also got to make sure that's realistic with your numbers as well. So if there's a fine line there, that's where you have to, depending on, yeah, what you've got going on in a week where you have to kind of juggle things back and forth. So that's, that's part of the excitement um, on my head too, right? It's always going to be crushing no matter what you're hearing. I mean, what do you do to manage your stress during the workday? Um, you know what? I, uh, sometimes I get, just get up and have a coffee and roll wolf. <laughs> so walk into the back and, and you know, yeah. see how things are going and fit <laughs> that. So you remove yourself a bit and kind of reset. Yeah, exactly. You know, you kind of get out of it for a minute and then yell that you're ready to go back again. And yes. Well, lately it's been man busy. <laughs> I think I'm a little bolder than half a bit. <laughs> you had a lot of practice resetting and coming back to ground zero again. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right, man. So should we call it? Yeah.